There's a real dawning um, of like using things more responsibly. What are we using? What are we putting into the world? You know, designers are responsible for that. So that's that's what we're seeing more of, and that's what obviously um, I think in every exhibition that we do, we have to kind of justify like what we're showing. That's Ria Patel, and this is the Justina Green podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to the new episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Justina Green. I hope you're doing really well and today's episode is a very exciting episode but it's also a very sad episode because it's the last one of this year that I have for you. But you know, you know the drill, right? With podcasts. There are so many episodes. I can't believe we have about 40 now or actually over 40 Um of the podcast and you can listen to interviews with some really amazing people from architects to designers to we even have um, electronic music producers, um, illustrators, artists. Um, So there's so much content for you there. So I really hope that while I'm resting a little but also be running away and um, producing new content for next year, that you'll spend November, December wrapping up your year, um, being grateful for everything that you've done and everything you've achieved. Um, looking at the obstacles that were in your way or are in your way now and seeing how you're going to cope with those and that the episodes and the interviews I've done to date will help you with all of that that they'll inspire you and that they'll show you that we all kind of people at different levels of their stages of their careers from very various backgrounds that we're all on the same journey and that it's full of ups and downs um so that's what you already have. Kind of that's the these are the tools that I've already um, prepared for you. And today's episode is actually a really, really lovely conversation with Ria Patel, who's the curator at the Aram Gallery. And the Aram Gallery, if you haven't been there yet, it's on the third floor of the Aram store in Covent Garden in London. And it's one of the leading contemporary design galleries. And Ria has been a curator at the Aram Gallery for about nearly five years now, I think. And she curates four or five shows a year, um, which are all beautifully put together, discussing a variety of topics, all at the heart of design and architecture. And actually, they have a new show opening on the 7th of November, um, running until mid-December this year. So perfect kind of pre-Christmas treat on Rodney Kinsman and his furniture, um, and as well as his place within the high-tech movement um, of the 20th century British design. And also in our conversation, we find out a bit more about Ria and her past, her career to date, where she's come from being the editor of Frame magazine, senior editor of Icon magazine, to then going into a curatorial role at the Aram Gallery. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, conversation. And here it is for you. finding time to see me yeah you're welcome um and i i just love to start with just finding out about more about you and your mm-hmm. journey in design and architecture you're now the curator at the um aram gallery and you've done that for five years yeah now, almost yeah mm-hmm. yeah almost five years um but how did you enter design and architecture yeah so i studied architecture at university straight from school um didn't really know anything about the subject it's not one of those subjects that you can 
experience until you're either working in it or studying it. You can't really get an impression of what an architect does until you're already doing it, basically. Um, so I did that in uh, Cardiff, Welsh School of Architecture, and then I did um, some time working back in London, and then I went back to do a master's there. So studying architecture, you do it in three stages, and I did the two out of the three. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, after graduation, um, it was kind of 2008, so not a great time to be graduating mm-hmm. and starting in the world of work, but um, I had a few jobs and it wasn't really that much interesting work going on at that time. Mm-hmm. So I looked for other things to do that I could use my knowledge from architecture school in a different way. I'd always been good at kind of writing and also like more interested in the history and theory of architecture than maybe the practice Mm -hmm. at that time anyway um so that's when I applied to um intern at the architect journal and the architectural review had a really good experience there um kind of was doing both like work in architecture practices and writing for a long time then I went to work at Icon magazine as a junior editor and it was a really really good opportunity to kind of get in at the bottom mm-hmm. of like seeing what magazines do I had you know very little experience again it's one of those things that you can't <laughs> study you have to do um how did you find it how did I find it I found it really um really exciting actually like I was um going from like architecture school and architecture practices where you have really long time spans you know you might work on something and never see it finished because it just takes ages and you're a really small cock in a big machine of you know working with not just within your practice but the whole uh, spectrum of um, people that work on an architecture project and then going to a magazine where it's literally like you know the DAJ is coming out every week and you're working week to week you're working in a quite a small team and what you're producing, your input is um, really like a big part of the magazine compared to, you know, say working on a big architecture project. So I found it really exciting. I found it kind of uh, really, uh, the, the cool thing about it was that every day was different. So like you didn't really know where you were going to be sent to go and interview somebody or go and visit a building, or see an exhibition. Um, so yeah, I got the kind of um, feel for it mm-hmm. in that internship and then it carried on at Icon magazine as well. Yeah. And then from Icon did you move to Frame? Yes I worked for Frame uh, for a year so I decided in 2013 that I wanted to get some international experience and also see how a different magazine worked because I had only experience at a couple of magazines Icon and the kind of architecture trade press and then um, Frame was again like a really different mechanism of how things work um different slightly different audience like talking to i wouldn't say interior designers but people working on interior architecture maybe Mm -hmm. and they were quite pioneering because they didn't want to make it you know it's not a decoration magazine they wanted to to study or write about the design of spaces but from kind of a different view Mm -hmm. like a serious view um, and then I came back to Icon Magazine, and then I came to the gallery. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been doing a lot of um, jobs within architecture and design, or lots of different roles, but always within the same field. So using what I know and what I've learned and who I've met, in you know, for different purposes. Mm-hmm. And tell me more about your role at the at the Aram Gallery mm. and what you do here and 
kind of how did the Aram Gallery start as well and where is that now? Yeah, so the Aram Gallery is a really interesting space. It's it's not a commercial gallery. Sometimes there's a bit of confusion as to what it is or what it's for. Um, we're within the Aram store. So we're on the third floor of a furniture store, but the gallery doesn't sell anything. It's purely a kind of cultural space. It's supposed to be a cultural counterpoint to the commercial space of the store. Um, and it adds to the idea that this building is a destination for, for people who come here. They might not just buy something, but they might learn something as well. So that's the kind of um, idea of it. It was started in 2002 with um, Zevaram, who is still the director of the gallery, and uh, Daniel Charney, who they were the first curators in 2002, who set it up as this space to also reflect, um, to give a platform to younger designers, because um, Zev has a history of going up and down the country to all the graduate shows, picking young talent and giving them, first in his showroom in the King's Road, he gave them the window space as a, as a place to show their graduate work. Um, so he's always had that generosity and he's always had that eye for talent finding. And the gallery kind of grew out of that as this place to show emerging design, experimental design, um, be the place where you could find like who's going to be big tomorrow. Mm. Uh, you know, be that be that place where you know you're always going to see something fresh and interesting. So, what kind of people have you had, kind of us, or are now kind of the alumni of yeah. the gallery? I guess that happens yeah. quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, we had a really nice exhibition. Um, last year, this time last year actually, called Designers Select Designers and it was 15 years of the Aram Gallery. So we had 15 alumni to come back and then also choose a new designer or a, uh, yeah, maybe an emerging designer to show with them. So those, that alumni was like actually really illustrious when we <laughs> went through the whole list of everybody who's shown here. It's a huge list. Um, so we had Jasper Morrison and Thomas Heatherwick was on was in that exhibition as well. Martino Gamper, um, we had Michael and Anastasiades. Um, we had um, Inika Hands, Beth and Laura Wood, um, Ptolemy Mann as well. So we had, yeah, we had you know fifteen designers who who didn't just show here once. They came here, you know, they either had a solo show or maybe they were part of a group mm -hmm. show, but they showed here in the sort of early days of their career um, and then they each nominated somebody to show with them so it was a really nice kind of way of looking back but also looking forward. And how do you now look for new talent? Yeah um, it's just a case of having your eyes open it sounds really <laughs> obvious Pe I could, people do ask me that quite a lot but um, you know like Zev did in the early days I go to lots of shows I go to lots of graduate shows that are around London I try to get to ones which are outside London as well but that's quite difficult um, I'm the only member of staff here in the gallery so, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah it's kind of like a one woman band of a gallery um, a responsibility <laughs> yeah it is it is um, so I basically just try and from from seeing things myself, keeping my eyes open, building a network. So everybody who's shown here, we keep in touch with them. Um, you know, they come back to the private views of other exhibitions. They're suggesting work that I should be interested in. You know, it's about cultivating, um, you know, an idea of like what the gallery's for, and then people start to start to suggest things because they know like, oh, this would be great for the Aram Gallery. So it happens quite organically, mm -hmm. and. 
um, also we you know we get outside proposals we get people that have read about us in the press and think oh you know I'd love to have this project there so they send proposals and part of my job is to go through proposals and say okay this would be great for the Aram Gallery um, maybe that's not a great fit so yeah just being really open to all sorts of things and not you know not we don't only just show design um, we show anything applied so there have been mm -hmm. exhibitions about book binding jewelry um, so yeah to, to be open I think mm -hmm. yeah. and how did that uh, choice come about to not just what you just said not just yeah. show design but show yeah. the is it applied yeah so there, um, I haven't done it so much in my time. I'm, my knowledge and my sort of contacts are very much in design and architecture. But the previous curator, Ellie, um, who worked also with Daniel Charney, and then she became the curator and she was here for a long time as well. I think she had more of an interest in craft. So through her, there were a few uh, craft-focused exhibitions or, or about one material or one technique. So there was a great exhibition about glass, mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned, the bookbinding one. So that, that came from her. I think every curator that works here brings a little bit of their own expertise and interest as well to the job. Um, and then also I think it comes from Zev Aram as well. He's not, you know, he's a great collector of things. He's not just interested in furniture, although that's his whole world. Um, you know, if you look around the store, there's art. He buys art from graduate shows as well. Um, so he's like, you know, he's not just looking at furniture. He's looking at the whole world around design and creativity as well. So what do you bring to the gallery? Because you said that every curator brings something, yeah. their, their particular interests. Yeah. What do you love bringing to the gallery? So the things I'm really proud of bringing to the gallery um, are kind of more interactive exhibits. So we had um, two exhibitions in 2016 that both brought, um, that both reflected technology, basically. Mm -hmm. So we, um, you know, the, the exhibitions that show design and architecture can be a bit static because they're just showing, you know, um, even when we're showing process, we're showing like displays of prototypes, things are quite fixed. Um, so in 2016, um, I was approached by a creative agency called 630 and they had this idea called Unread Messages and it was based around this piece of research about how much we're using our smartphones and smartphone addiction and could design provide an answer to like help us manage that. Um, and part of that was kind of, there was a, like a little robot, which was taking, um, was programmed to just take selfies all day of whoever would sort of go up to the little, um, phone and then they would just automatically get posted to its own account. Um, and we had, you know, other exhibits which were connected up to Twitter. Um, and then we also in that year had a solo show by Raw Colour and one of their installations is this beautiful set of six paper shredders that are attached to motion sensors so when when a gallery visitor came up to it um came near to one of the rolls it would start shredding and at the end of the design week we had on the floor below um just all this mix of different shreds of color all mixing together depending on the pattern of how people walked in the room so those are the things that i was really happy to bring to the gallery around 2016 that was mm. like my kind of idea um and I guess last year we had a really good exhibition on architectural models as well and that I really drew on my um education but also my network from working at you know architecture journals as well so 
um, we had a really we had like 20 over 20 practices each give a model and tell us something about their process and how they use model making in their process so yeah those are the things that I sort of feel like I can bring to the gallery that's extremely varied actually yeah it is yeah yeah it is and I guess it reflects um you know I studied obviously had an architecture background and and journalistic experience and then when I went to Icon I started writing more about design and also writing a lot of profiles of younger designers so that's what gave me a really good kind of network of emerging designers that I knew about um, so it's been contact in the early days of starting at the gallery I drew on those contacts a lot so Raw Colour were a Dutch studio that I had already written about um, a lot of those architects who were in the uh, models show I had interviewed or profiled or written a news story about um, so yeah it's quite varied but it's it's also sort of they have yeah they have some um, they've prefigured in my past somehow mm. before they've got to the gallery yeah I guess but that's that's the lovely way of connecting the dots exactly yeah yeah I mean it's quite I find it quite um, intensive because being the sole curator um, sometimes you know you don't want to be drawing everything from your own network mm. because it doesn't you know five exhibitions a year we have so if they all come out of my head and my network then it can become a little bit stale you know um or just you know the contacts that I have or the ideas that I have just become exhausted because um you know I guess it's a certain point of point of view exactly mm. it's one person's point of view it's also one person's you know um who they know um, which is what it comes down to a lot as well. So I've also tried to work on exhibitions where we've partnered up with other organisations just to be able to have, you know, wider perspective, more more minds on the kind of mm-hmm. job, really. So we've done exhibitions with um, the British Council last year and also with Desenio magazine in uh, 2015 as well. So I'm really, I'm always looking for some kind of partners because it more people's contacts more perspectives on the exhibition makes it so much richer so yeah I am you know it's it's good to have been able to draw on my experience but I I am I do realize that that will you know get stale very quickly mm. yeah I guess and you're keeping the exhibits and the programming uh, more objective as well yeah exactly yeah yeah so you know one of the first things that I had to really learn when I first got here is that you know it's not putting an exhibition together isn't just choosing things that you like um, and it sounds kind of like obvious but it's actually really hard to do sometimes to detach your own preference your own taste your own interest you know I'm really interested in this but maybe not everyone is and they don't want to see five exhibitions a year about it so um, learning to have that distance like you know I really like this but is it you know worthy of having in an exhibition now you know you have to answer all those questions like because it has to be timely as well it has to be timely it has to be topical it has to fit with the missions of the gallery it has to um you know we're we're lucky actually in the gallery there's not a lot of boxes to tick um Mm -hmm. you know we're not we're not a public institution we're not spending public money we're not charging anyone a ticket um but we do still have like wider aims that we want each exhibition to fit Mm. and how do you when we talk about new young talent yeah have you been seeing any trends or themes emerging from young talents' creations, kind of yeah. the way they think? Yeah, I have. Um, I think there's 
less interest in taking ownership of designs. So the young, I don't want to say young because it's not always about age. It's it's also about emerging designers. Mm-hmm. No matter how old you are or where you are in your career, you know you can be doing experimental work or having new ideas. Um, but I think there's a tendency towards. Um, you know, not like, you know, designing a chair and putting your name on it, but, but having an idea which, the whole, you know, everybody can benefit from. Um, obviously, open source, there was a whole movement around open source, but it's, it's more like, you know, there was a great ex- uh, project called Joining Bottles mm-hmm. um, by Michaela Pedros, and that was in one of our exhibitions. She found this way to kind of pick up uh, plastic bottles put them around two pieces of wood and then heat shrink it so that it, it fused the two pieces of wood together in a kind of really strong joint. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that can be done by picking up rubbish, basically, and, you know, having very basic tools. could be done on the street to make a quick piece of furniture on the street. And she, you know, can't, that's kind of her invention in a way. Like, you know, she saw the opportunity to do that. Um, but she's not really keen on kind of making, you know... A gal- limited edition furniture with this method. She wants to kind of spread, you know, make. She made a video and she put it online, and it reached loads of people. And um, I think the the there's a there's a real desire to like design, but also share design mm-hmm. and like really share it, not just you know make something nice that gets shown in a magazine or in a gallery, but really share it with the whole world. Use the kind of you know opportunity of the internet to get a really wide audience for something, and and you know maybe it's the start of an idea but then somebody another designer in another part of the world takes the idea on and kind of develops it in their way and in that way everybody benefits because you have again you have more minds on the subject so open source but not just in in the sense of designing something that you know downloading a design for something and making it but this whole open source mentality about Mm -hmm. having an idea and then really sharing it widely where do you think that stems from that shift from Signing your piece of furniture (laughs) to to being Um, quite generous. I mean, I guess we're becoming more socially aware, aren't we? That there's a whole, you know, design can't. It's not art. There's there's always like a real socially ambitious streak to designers and architects. We're not making things to, you know, that won't get seen by a lot of people or used or enjoyed by a lot of people. There's that real innate desire to like do something which helps people or improves people's lives so that's always been there that's not new but I think um, we're more aware of it now because um, design itself is sort of it's more the whole definition of design is more expanded you know we're not um, we're we're considering more things as design than just sort of you know lights and chairs so mm-hmm. that that's changing um, but yeah, I think I think it's also more interesting for younger designers. You know, I think that they're not, and they probably can't. It's it's very hard to make your your name by or make a career for yourself by putting your name on things and establishing this kind of brand for yourself. They probably know that that's not really that's a very low you know um, low chance uh, outcome for mm. their career is to kind of work in the way that maybe like star designers did in decades gone they know that that's quite that's not likely to happen so they're that's a damn thing though isn't it yeah (laughs) so i think there's a whole you know we don't have that we don't we're not really you know design is so much more interesting when um there's more to say there's more to write about there's more to 
uh, you know, when more people enjoy something, it kind of reaches a different level of interest. So, yeah, I, I think it's just they just find it more interesting as well. Mm. And what do you think there should be more of? Or what are some of the matters or issues that design or architecture um, or solution-driven thinking could help um, or yeah. could help us fix or understand better? Yeah, there's this whole thing, obviously, about environmental responsibility where, you know, it's kind of only just dawning on us after an exce- a really excessive period of, like, having loads of things, consuming loads of things. Um, and, you know, for, for actually, you know, a long part of my life, you know, it was great, you know, to have so much choice and mm-hmm. to have everything cheap. It was fantastic. You didn't really question, like, why... You know what effect is this having? Is this right? And now there's a real dawning um, of like using things more responsibly. What are we using? What are we putting into the world? You know, designers are responsible for that. So that's that's what we're seeing more of, and that's what obviously um, I think in every exhibition that we do, we have to kind of justify like what we're showing. Are we just putting more things into the world by asking people to buy this, or are we really showing examples that show you know, yeah, solution, you know, thinking that gives us some kind of solution to global issues, wider issues than than just, you know, serving like a quite limited purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that I'd like to see more of that. I think there's also designers are, and it's also to do with the generation that are designing. There's a lot of um, thinking around well-being as well. So obviously we had the Unread Messages exhibition that was about smartphone addiction and it was looking for designers to asking designers if they could have some kind of um response to these problems you know is there a kind of um app that would help you limit your time that you spend online from from the kind of technological solution to like a physical solution like can you put your smartphone in a bag for like you know a few hours in the evening that stops it buzzing and you know like you're still online but you don't it's not in your <laughs> presence so much mm. so yeah designers are really thinking hard about well-being technology and the environment as well and I think that's what I definitely want to see more of and do you think that's within a reach there's there are things yeah. happening already yeah I think it's definitely on designers minds I think it's I do sometimes read about projects and I think that's a lot to task a designer with you know we can come up with ideas but we're not policy makers we're not um you know designers aren't particularly in charge of vast amounts of money to make things mm-hmm. happen to make things change and sadly that's sort of still the the ways that you need to what you need to have to make change um so i think yeah i mean it's really encouraging to see designers tackle bigger issues and i obviously um, these kind of projects are finding their way into things like the design museums, designs of the year, and like you know we keep seeing each year we're seeing more and more kind of ethically minded projects, socially minded, environmentally minded. But I do sometimes think that it's you know it's a lot to ask of the design community. We need to um, work with other disciplines more to be able to make a real change as well. So you know we need to work with people from outside design to make real change there's lots of designers who have tasked themselves with working with scientists um Marjan van Albel's um current uh, her charging table um was a good example of like a designer linking up with innovations that are happening in science to make something you know to cross fertilized ideas and I think that's sort of the way forward I don't think 
design alone should be charged with those um, entirely with all those problems. No, that's very very interesting and extremely valid point. Mm. And how d- it doesn't sound like an easy thing to do. No, it's not an easy thing <laughs> to do. You know, we don't. Um, if there was an answer already, then we would have we would have found it and adopted it, and it mm. would have been you know we'd all be changing our the ways that we live but we're also talking from the p- point of view the privileged point of view of being in the west where mm-hmm. you know we're in a developed country and there's large parts of the world who want um to use phones all day and they want electricity and they want to use energy and they want you know the things that that we have in the west so um yeah it's a huge problem that um we we're all approaching it from slightly different perspectives and at slightly different times in the development of where we're living so you know it's it's also it's also trying to think across time and across space to kind of solve these problems that we haven't really achieved yet you know every every country is sort of thinking for itself still Mm, especially at the moment especially at the moment yeah exactly we're still we're still locked into that way of thinking because we don't really we don't have any model for thinking differently we, we, we're still locked into the ways that we have established for ourselves and it's going to take a long time to shift into thinking like a like a planet mm-hmm. yeah but then for that we need just yeah there's so much more of international connections and yeah. debate as well yeah and you know take that stuff takes time it took us this long to get to where we are now so you know um well I hope that it will happen but yeah it's not too inspiring what's happening at the moment so <laughs> fingers crossed yeah. and tell me about um gallery um as well this year um because yeah. I know we uh, you can't tell me yeah. much <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have to keep we're, we're good at keeping things quiet in the gallery not always because we don't want to share but just because we work um we don't plan made you know a lot in advance so obviously gallery it, museums are planning like years and years in advance the gallery actually keeps it quite um quite kind of a rolling program of exhibitions it's because we don't commission work we're often um working in partnership with you know designers or maybe they're kind of self-initiated projects or we're waiting for them to kind of finish their their Mm -hmm. whatever they want to show so we can't really like have a very fixed timetable so that's one reason um why we we can't really like you know tell you in advance what we're working on um but generally um you know we have a rolling exhibition called prototypes and experiments and it sort of appears every year roughly every year and it's a really successful format that's been with the gallery since the beginning and um it's literally just asking lots of studios architects designers um i've been trying to open up to other disciplines as well to show us their process so it might be like like the architectural models was a show of process or it might be just um you know one product but instead of showing the product we're looking at all the different versions that went into making that product and it's to do with um sort of to do with um well one of our missions is to pro- promote understanding of contemporary design so to give the idea that designs don't just like pop out fully formed like there's a whole process of testing there's so many things that the designer has to think about um you know we had a really nice it's really nice when the designer shows us their whole process mm. so they include like an email which suddenly <laughs> changed the game for the whole project that they're working on because they suddenly realized they couldn't use what this material um uh, because it it would disintegrate if it was in the sun or something like that so you know all the things that a designer really has to think about and i think 
it works on the level of um, students and the general visitor who wants to understand more about design. And it also works on the level for the exhibitors and the people who are already working in design because they're really interested in how other people work. You know, they're interested in their peers. They're kind of nosy about how other studios do their prototyping. So it, it works on all these different levels. And um, so, yeah, Prototypes and Experiments is like a, a rolling exhibition. Um, but prototypes tend and process tend to feature in other exhibitions as well. So, you know, we're called the gallery for new or experimental work, so we're always always looking at experimentation. Mm-hmm. And if you... Is there an exhibition or a theme that you'd really, really love to cover or that you've had in mind for a while? Um, there isn't. Uh, <laughs> that's not a cop-out. It's just because things are changing so quickly so so as soon as you have something in mind by the time you've done the exhibition like things have already changed or you know which I try not to be too fixed about mm. what I want to do because it's I find it I find it better to be more receptive to what's going on um rather than you know have something in mind that I definitely want to do mm-hmm. there's probably people that I want to work with that I definitely oh, yes, want to work yeah, with yeah. more than like a theme mm-hmm. um the themes, we did an exhibition called Joints and Bones, which is about joining in in furniture. And they tend to be really accessible themes that, like, just they are quite universal. So we also had a theme, had an exhibition called Extraordinary, which was about designers who've used um, ordinary materials, waste materials, and they've turned them into something else, but not really upcycling, doing it in quite a profound way, mm-hmm. like completely changing the perception of the material. Um so those are the two kind of theme exhibitions that I've done that have come to mind. And I imagine if I do another theme exhibition, it'll be something really basic, um, but but has like a really wide range of responses to that kind of theme. So those are the ones that, that tend to work well. Mm. That's very interesting because that just makes everything that you do very current. Yeah, exactly. That that's a, responsive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the way, really, because if you're too prescriptive about it, like, okay, we're going to do this exhibition about people working in this part of the world at this certain time, in this medium, then um, you, you, it doesn't really become, like, something that lots of people can engage with or find a way into. So the best exhibitions here have been, and I hope continue to be, really wide and accessible and you know if you don't know anything about design maybe you do know something about you know how lego joins together or mm. you know you can and there's something that you'll be able to get out of or understand of, of every exhibition and that's of course because you have such varied audiences as well yeah here yeah so you know part of the mission here is that the gallery is accessible we never do highly conceptual shows um there's places that you can see that in london and <laughs> um, we know that we we don't need to add to to what's already on offer in London in that respect. Um, we're not a museum. We don't have a collection. We don't have any um, historic objects to to worry about. Um, we can be really um, um, we can connect with our audience on lots of different levels. So the the idea is that well, Zevaram's idea is that um, whoever comes into the gallery should sort of come out feeling enlightened in some way. So they understood something that they didn't understand before, or they learned about something, or they found out about something. You know, some tiny um, act of improvement to their kind of day or mm. their understanding of a subject. Um, 
which I think is a really, really nice ambition for the gallery. And that's why we keep things very open. Like I mentioned before, we don't have tickets. We Even if we have talks, we don't um, charge for them or events or anything. Um, we try and be really, really open and generous as part of the kind of idea for the space. But we also know that we are a respected design gallery and we have a a visitor who's coming through the shop, they probably already know something about design or they already read about us and they came to visit us specifically. So they probably are someone who's working or studying, working in design, studying design, know something about it before they get to us. So we also know that the exhibitions have to cater to them as mm. well. That, that's a really, really wonderful and I think a wonderful note to end on as well, mm. um, especially the idea around being very open and yeah. accessible. Yeah, um. that is really the unique thing about this gallery is, you know, in London in 2019, we have um, this much floor space and we're not trying to sell you anything. <laughs> <laughs> we're just trying to, yeah, do something that enriches uh, the design scene for London. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you You're for welcome. your time. You're welcome. <laughs> I hope you've really enjoyed our conversation and please do visit the gallery and what's actually really really lovely if you follow them on social media or if you just drop into the on the website of the the RM gallery every now and then you'll see what new shows are coming up and they're all beautifully curated by Ria and really they're, they're so engaging I've really loved um visiting previous shows uh previous shows there and this episode marks a little break. I'm not sure if we should be going into season four next year. I think we'll just start having breaks because everybody needs a break. You also probably want to freshen up, not listen to me for a few weeks and then come back. Um, but what's super exciting is that you have all the content ready and so many ch chats and inspiring talks. So just head to justinagreen.com and you spell my name, J-U-S-T-Y-N-A, to listen to all the podcast episodes, to browse through them. And of course, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, it's all there as well if you just look for Justina Green. Uh, I'm at Justina Green on social media. So any comments and feedback you have, please um, send it my way. And... You know what, when I see comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts, it really makes my day. And there's a quite recent one that's that's really made me want to do more and kind of create more interviews for you. And the good news is that I don't I don't know yet when it will be back, if it will be February or March. Uh, I just need to see kind of how things line up. And of course, we'll have lots of content before Milan Design Week next year. Um but for sure, I can tell you now that there are already 15 interviews lined up. Um, so it's all already. And I'm really trying to have a little break um, just so that I can curate them really well for you and organize them. And that's that from me for now. And um, this episode has been put together beautifully but by James Green, um, who's produced the whole season three um, because I didn't have time to do that. <laughs> so thank you very much and also the music intro music outro music is all composed by him as well um and yeah that's that from both of us um have a wonderful wonderful rest of the year and please keep in touch email me message me everything i want to hear what you're working on your inspirations let's let's keep that beautiful conversation that we started to create let's keep it going thank you and bye for now mm -hmm.